Welcome to the Beijing to Britain podcast with your hosts Sam Hogg and Steve Lynch. Hi, Steve. Hi, Sam. We are finally here. Yes, we are, and what a time to be here as well. Foreign Secretary visiting China today, the first time in five years, and a new Foreign Affairs Committee report looking at the Indo-Pacific tilt. So, I suppose before we we get onto all of that, I think we should、uh, premise what this podcast is and, and why we're doing it. Sam and I have been working together, I suppose, for some time now. And I think we both are collectively、uh, of the opinion that there's this enormous knowledge deficit on China, and maybe slightly worrying approach to the relationship from the UK. And again, we can get onto Cleverly's visit and the Foreign Affairs Committee, but it just doesn't seem the UK has a as a joint up approach on China. That's exactly right. And over the course of the season to come, we'll be speaking to experts in a whole variety of different subject areas covered by this bilateral. The great benefit that I bring to the equation is that I'm not an expert on anything at all, which is a very handy way to approach subjects that are very difficult、uh, and complicated to discuss. Steve, on the other hand, has spent over a decade living and working in China, most recently as a managing director of the British Chamber of Commerce in China. During that time, and we'll come onto it at some point, either today or throughout the season. He has had his fair share of managing dignitaries to the country and dealing with the intricacies of Chinese engagement at all levels of business and society. Well, I think you're you're being very kind there, Sam. Thank you very much. And I suppose anyone who knows the Beijing to Britain work or, or Sam's work specifically, you know, you scour every single sentence about China from Parliament.、Um, I think you say you're in the trenches every single day. So, you know, what we're trying to bring、um, every episode. Is just a snapshot of what's coming out of Westminster, dissecting the the news cycle and the recent happenings. As mentioned, you know I've personally spent 12 years in China, and returning back to the UK, we see this enormous polarisation of opinions. Certainly, if we have in the UK moved towards a black or white outlook and approach, and there just doesn't seem to be a platform or grounds for debate or conversation. So that's exactly what Sam and I want to create. We want to create. A platform that endeavours to offer balance around conversation where possible. We aim to interrogate and investigate the UK-China relationship with integrity, but most importantly, I think, put context to a lot of decisions and a lot of the happenings that are taking place around the UK-China relationship. That's exactly right, and we will not be avoiding difficult conversations at all. Steve and I agree on many things and disagree on other things too, and many of our guests will have different agreements and disagreements with us as well. On top of that, I think it's worth caveating at the beginning of the season. Many things we say and our guests will say in isolation could end up as a Daily Mail headline. That's the nature of having an informed discussion on issues, and we are trying our hardest to inject some sort of context around these issues. So much of the relationship is now dominated by sound bites, and as you say, this podcast can be clipped and taken out of context. Opinions are not going to agree. Me and Sam don't agree on everything, and I'm sure with our guests we'll have a varying of opinion. We'll also try to play devil's advocate a lot. But I think one thing to to premise this whole podcast: China is one of the most sophisticated and complex bilateral relationships to navigate. Almost every single section in government is now intersected by China. So very much we see that China presents major geopolitical challenges. But it also brings about opportunities. We're a few months removed from this integrated or updated integrated review, and maybe a year away from a general election. So we need to talk about China. We need to understand what is happening around UK-China. 
And I think the interesting point around what we're trying to achieve with this podcast is there's amazing podcasts out there. There's so much great work on China from perspectives in China, China on the world stage, the geopolitics. We're trying to find our lane. At Beijing to Britain, it's going to be all things UK China, specifically UK China. Let's get on to the podcast. Let's specifically look at James Cleverley's trip to China. This is the first foreign secretary's trip to Beijing uh, in five years, and certainly one of the first ministerial visits in the last few years. The trip was originally scheduled for July, but was postponed due to the disappearance of Tian Gang. So, Sam, what's happening, and why is James Cleverley going over now? So. Earlier on this year, James Cleverley, the Foreign Secretary, set out Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister's overall China approach. Essentially, the UK's new China policy, as it exists, is hinged on three pillars: protect, align, and engage. Now, Cleverley is very much of the view that to do anything、uh, on a global level, you need to be engaging with China, and the things he often cites are. Tackling global warming and climate change, through to debt restructuring for developing countries and artificial intelligence, he's of the view that actually stepping away from engaging with China is is weak in itself. Where it becomes very interesting is the split between what Parliament wants the relationship to look like and what the government wants the relationship to look the relationship to look like. So they're very different and with a different set of ambitions and aims for each. And I think what you often see, actually, and and you've seen already over the last twenty four hours. I mean, Steve, we're recording this at five minutes to ten in the morning on Wednesday. The foreign secretary leaves Beijing later on today to fly elsewhere. But what you're already seeing the British press here is discussion around why he's gone out in the first place. You know, multiple MPs have come out on record and said either he shouldn't have gone, or if he does go there, we want to see real, actionable, human rights focused results rather than just. Engagement for the sake of engagement, and and that sort of hits on the crux of the issue at hand, which is a, a sort of ping pong affair wherein Parliament turns around to the Foreign Secretary to the government and says you need to be raising these human rights matters. Government turns back to Parliament and says we are raising these human rights matters in these meetings, and that's how we try and make progress on human rights issues like Xinjiang and and、uh, Hong Kong. And Parliament turns around to government and says, well, what actions have actually come of this? Hence, why many people in their starting view of this visit will be one of deep skepticism. I think recording the podcast on the Wednesday morning has actually allowed us、um, to have a bit of an insight into the juxtaposition on the UK's approach to China. On the one side, we have the first foreign minister visit to China, just as the Foreign Affairs Committee has released a report. I'd like to dig into what the report actually has come out and says, but it seems that. This is not constructive in 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 any way. There doesn't seem to be any joint up approach, and I definitely don't think it's a coincidence that an FAC report is released on the same day that the foreign minister is in China. So, can you explain to our listeners what is the difference between the Foreign Affairs Committee? How is that different to the Foreign Secretary's visit to China? Yeah, so this is a, a classic misconception that many people often have, which is they think the Foreign Affairs Committee or actually any parliamentary committee. Acts in lockstep with the government, 
the role of a committee is to audit and advise and sort of analyze their respective department's behavior. So the Foreign Affairs Committee then obviously looks over the Foreign Office. And, and in this case, the Foreign Affairs Committee, which is cross-party, that means it has MPs from different parties represented, has produced a new report looking at the Indo-Pacific tilt. You make the point there, which is a very fair one. On the one hand, if you were sitting in Beijing, you see the Foreign Secretary come out here trying to uh, stabilize or normalize whichever word we use the relationship and on the other hand you have this committee report coming out and saying that taiwan is an independent country uh, for the first time in parliamentary history really apparently so how does one how do you balance that well the answer is that they're two separate things parliament is separate from the government that's what underpins british democracy and the foreign affairs committee is well within its remit to come out and, and produce its recommendations for government the timing i i definitely admit steve is uh Eyebrow raising, how coordinated it is, I'm unsure. Committee reports take a long time to put together and it could just be a happy coincidence. But it's a, it's a fascinating report that goes on at length about a number of issues that are very difficult for the government uh, and it taps into many of the problems that MPs have raised before as well. Okay, well, let, let's get back to Cleverly's visit because, again, I think this is a very strong statement from the UK government, the first visit in five years. So what do you think this signifies for the UK-China relationship? I think this is an effort from the UK side to draw a line under three or four difficult years post-COVID and to try and find ways to normalise or stabilise the relationship in some way. That's looking just at the UK-China bilateral. If you look more generally and look at how our allies are behaving, we're actually quite far behind in terms of sending senior ministers to China. Australia sent ministers there. The United States basically has someone there every three minutes at the moment. And uh, New Zealand's on the same. So within the context of the Five Eyes, we're, we're lagging behind anyway. That said, that's not enough to calm the discontent within Parliament and within certain parts of Whitehall over the, the, the visit itself. And I think it takes two to tango. Fundamentally, if the foreign secretary gets out there and comes back with almost no actionable results, then people in Westminster will look at that and say, what was the point? And it ties into a different issue as well, which again, politicians in Westminster raise at length. Everything the UK appears to do on China is a reactive, British government that is. So human rights issues, human rights abuses, transnational repression in the UK. In the last year, we've had a major incident at the Manchester Consulate General, wherein a protest was beaten. We've had multiple examples of transnational repression at universities. What they're asking for from the government is don't just acknowledge this is the case, do something about it. Now, when they go out to China, and the Foreign Secretary takes his team out to China, they're looking for more than just a readout that says the Foreign Secretary raised Xinjiang, Taiwan, Hong Kong. They want actionable results. That's the hard part, because what, what do those results look like and what are the Chinese willing to give? Well, I suppose to, to get straight into that, I mean... Absolutely. We're seeing other countries recalibrate their relationship with China. There's been lots of rhetoric from the UK government, but it seems very little action. Now we're, now we're moving into the, to the action stage. So what could be the potential outcomes of this visit? So I think we'll see uh, from both sides readouts. The Chinese typically tend to have a longer readout than the Brits do on these sort of events. So I would be unsurprised to see a number of things come out of both sides readouts. The first will be an acknowledgement that the bilateral is moving in the right direction, but also keep an eye out for things like AI. So there's a big conference taking place in London next uh, month, the AI Safety Summit, which the UK is chairing. And there's been much discussion around whether to invite China or not. A massive win for both sides would be for Cleverly to be able to return to the UK with the 
promise that China will attend this AI safety summit. Additionally, I would be unsurprised to see something around debt restructuring for developing countries. This is an issue that James Cleverly has raised at length recently. Obviously, we're, we're very aware of the MPs that have been sanctioned in the UK. Do you think there might be any potential outcome for those to be rescinded or overturned? You know, it, as I said, it takes two to tango. In terms of achievable actual actions that would move the bilateral forward, removing the sanctions on British MPs is the number one easiest thing to do. Whether China is able to do that, we will see. And I suspect we won't see that um, as a outcome of this particular visit, but it's going to work towards at all times. So Steve, in your role as, or your former role as Managing Director of the BCCC, you will have hosted a huge number of British officials as they visited China. Could you give us a quick snapshot of what that actually looks like? So I think there's going to be many people in China right now or, or previously in the last few few weeks and few months who have been enjoying their summer holidays down in Samya or maybe at the Qingdao Beer Festival. But I can guarantee the embassy staff in Beijing have been absolutely flat out. This is the first time we've had a, a foreign minister visit um, in five years. I think the last visit was Alok Sharma for COP uh, talks. So there's going to be many staff that have actually never dealt with a high level diplomatic visit. And they absolutely want to get the most out of this visit. However, I think many people will be quite surprised. These visits are extremely formulaic. Outcomes, conversation topics will be agreed well in advance. Um, so the embassy team will be working really hard to make sure um, they get the right issues on the agenda. And so will, so will their Chinese counterparts. I don't think there's going to be much fanfare of the visit. As you've mentioned, this is around stabilizing the relationship. The Chinese side might want to promote it a lot more, but I think this, this visit is a very strong statement moving towards stabilizing and rebuilding some bridges. Um, I hope, and I really do hope, but I don't think the time will allow that uh, James Cleverly will get a chance to speak to on-the-ground business leaders. I think talking to people on the ground, you get the realities and the readout of exactly what's happening, and that's warts and all. It would be an extremely busy time for a lot of people in, in Beijing, but for, for my side, I think this is a very strong statement uh, that the UK is trying to stabilize, rebuild relationships um, with, with China. Um, so let's just quickly touch upon the Foreign Affairs Committee report. I've just seen in the news this morning, Alicia Kearns um, has outlined uh, what the red lines for the UK should be. She's said we absolutely should be engaging with China but we need to do this on our own terms. So Sam, can you give us a bit of insight into what the report says um, and what are some of the key findings? Of course. So over the course of nearly 100 pages, this Foreign Affairs Committee report examines and analyzes the UK's Indo-Pacific tilt. And what that effectively is, is a foreign policy decision by the UK to put more resources and energy and time into the wider Indo-Pacific region. Now, the way that committee reports tend to work is not only do they analyze and bring in witnesses and experts from all over the world and all over government and the private sector and charity sector, but they also then take all that evidence that's been given to them and they produce a set of recommendations for the government. And so this report has produced no fewer than 77 conclusions and recommendations, and they cover a huge variety of things. But for the sake of our very brief introductionary podcast today, we'll look at the China facing ones. Now, the real headline from this report is that it refers to Taiwan as an independent country in all but name, effectively. You'll see that all over the papers in the next 24 hours. What it also says further down that paragraph is that 
When the Foreign Affairs Committee visited Taiwan last year, they spoke to loads of policymakers and political interlocutors who gave them the consensus view that they don't want to be declared an independent country. That was in no one's particular interest. Elsewhere in the report, it calls for the UK to be much more vocal about Jimmy Lai, the Hong Kong media mogul who is currently in jail in Hong Kong following the introduction of the national security law. It specifically says they should take every opportunity to raise the Jimmy Lai case possible. From the business side, and where I think it's particularly interesting, there's a very strong feeling in the report that post-Parliament declaring genocides taking place in Xinjiang, no companies have been sanctioned because of their human rights abuses and supply chains, not just in that region, but in China as a whole. And the report is clear. It wants the government to be sanctioning these companies, which is quite an explicit request, actually, from the committee, especially given this isn't a business-focused committee. This is a foreign affairs-focused committee. Elsewhere, I think another headline you'll see is the idea that they want the government to publish its China strategy. This is the third time a committee, not just the Foreign Affairs Committee, but a committee has called for the government to publish its strategy or to publish parts of it publicly. What you'll see the government say when they do respond eventually in about 60 days or so, I suspect, will be, we've made our China approach very clear. Please refer to James Cleverley's Madison House speech. Thanks, Sam. I think what you've just mentioned there, there is so much to get into, and not just in the Foreign Affairs Committee report, but just so much to get into around this UK-China relationship. And that's exactly what the podcast and this platform is going to do. We're going to try tackle some of the really challenging topics on a, on a weekly basis. So one final element of the podcast, and we've completely stolen this um, from Stephen Bartlett's Diary of a CEO podcast, is each week we will have a guest on the podcast, we want to ask them a question and they answer a question from the previous guests. So they're asking and answering questions. Hopefully I explained that correctly, right, Sam? That was spot on, Steve. Well done. Okay, good. So um, I'm going to have the, the pleasure of asking the first question, um, obviously to Sam. Um, so I suppose my first question, what do you wish you could change about the UK's approach to China? So... What a painful question to kick off with, Steve. Thank you for that. I think if I could, I would massively increase the level of funding that we have available in London and in the UK as a whole to raise our China capabilities. You know, get Mandarin taught at schools, Chinese culture taught at schools, and more importantly, get that level of expertise up across the board. I completely uh, agree. I, I think we are, again, woefully behind in regards to our knowledge of China and our understanding of how to deal with it. Um, and I think a big part of that starts with education. So could not agree more, Sam. Let me flip back on to you, Steve. What is the one thing that you would like to see more of in the UK-China bilateral? So I think the, the relationship is built upon multiple pillars or multiple um, platforms, government, business, people. And I think the one thing I've seen completely dissipate in the last few years. Yes, COVID, but, but other reasons as well, is the people-to-people -people engagement. We've, we've almost completely lost our people-to-people -people engagement. And I think so much of the relationship is built upon cultural exchanges, people exchanges. So I really hope we can get to a stage which ties into your point around capacity and capability building and education. I hope we can get back to a stage where we have more people-to-people -people exchanges. I think we need more students, more young professionals going to China. Um, just to, to mention myself, I was a young professional that went to China and, and stayed for 12 years and, and, and now obviously an advocate for the relationship 
And I believe there's so many people in a similar situation. They went as young professionals. They're now the business leaders, the diplomats, the ambassadors. And that's so critical. And I think the time is now. We, we're already at a stage because of COVID that we will have a generational loss when it comes to this people to people engagement. So we need to double down and engage and invest on that certain aspect of the relationship before we start to really not understand each other. That's a answer that we can unpack at length in a, in a podcast to come, Steve, because I think it pulls off many fascinating discussions around what do we actually want from that people to people engagement and how safe can we make it, et cetera, et cetera. Sam, that was great. I hope that was uh, enjoyable for our listeners. Every week, we will be unpacking the UK-China relationship, bringing on expert guests, and we really look forward to hearing your feedback. So please get in contact, um, and we look forward to speaking next week. Steve, always a pleasure. Thank you.